Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Recently reported and addressed in an article from the Kansas City Defender entitled Light Skins Versus Dark Skins, The Epidemic of Colorism on Social Media and in Pop Culture, from Twitter to YouTube, many celebrities and influencers have been called out for being colorist, which is nearly synonymous with being racist in the Black community. Some call-outs occur from real-time actions and statements, while others happen due to uncovered past tweets or uploaded videos. The issue of colorism is certainly not exclusive to the black community and goes beyond social media. It is affecting us in every sector of our daily lives, nearly in the same fashion as racism. Today's guest is a social innovator who has been combining his futurist communication skills and media savvy to lead successful corporate, nonprofit, and advocacy campaigns throughout his career. Most recently, he founded the Kansas City Defender, a black nonprofit digital startup that has already earned the title of Kansas City's most digitally engaged news platform and is unquestionably one of the fastest growing digital media outlets in the country. Here with us to discuss colorism in the media and share more with us about the tireless and critical work of the Kansas City Defender, we have founder and executive editor of the Kansas City Defender, Mr. Ryan Sorrell. This is the Black Information Network Daily Podcast, and I'm your host, Ramses Ja. So welcome to the show, brother. How you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, man. I, I appreciate you bringing me on. Yeah, of course, man. We, we got to talk about this is something that has been part and parcel to our experience, the black experience in this country since, you know, I remember reading about this in the Willie Lynch letter. So I'd imagine it's it's been a part of our experience since first landing on these shores. So um, before we get to all that, uh we like to ask some questions just to familiarize our audience with our speaker. Do us a favor, share a little bit about yourself, your background, and sort of, you know, what led you to a career in journalism. Uh, definitely. So I'm actually uh, not a traditional journalist by any means. I took a very much a roundabout way to uh, getting into journalism, and it was because of the inequities because of the racism, because of the often blatant white supremacy that we see in uh, what we call legacy news outlets. And so my actual background 
is and things like web analytics, digital analytics. I'm also a community organizer. I've been community organizing since I was in college. I went to school in Chicago and graduated in 2017. So kind of throughout my time in school and, and, and in college, that was when Michael Brown got murdered. That was when Laquan McDonald got murdered. That was when Trayvon Martin got murdered. And so all of those were very transformational. Uh, that was a very transformational time period in my life. And so after I graduated, I ended up working in a, an agency, a PR agency doing digital analytics for about two years up until uh, George Floyd was murdered. And I ended up moving, uh, quitting my job, my corporate job in Chicago and moving back to Kansas City to start a community organization. I was doing that for about a year and organizing for about a year. And I just became very frustrated while we were organizing on the ground. While we were protesting, I became very frustrated and quite frankly, just very mad and outraged, actually, at how a lot of the local legacy white owned media outlets would report on the work that we were doing on the ground. Often it was very racist framing. Uh, they would say things like we were complaining about racism rather than the fact that we had very much a real reason to be angry and outraged that black people were dying regularly. Um, and so at that point, I just saw it as absolutely necessary that we have uh, a way. I mean, in the same way that the Black Information Network does, I think, uh, and also black news outlets across the country, I think. Once we realize that it's absolutely necessary that we're able to tell our own stories, that we're able to, uh, you know, reclaim control of our own narratives. I think once we understand that necessity, then we just have to do it. And so I launched our organization, the Kansas City Defender, in July of last year. And since then, we have broken, you know, between six and seven national news stories. We've reached over 10 million people. We've been attributed by The Washington Post, by USA Today. We uh, have built an audience of over 25,000. We got a $25,000 grant in March. And we also uh, were just recently featured in Harvard's Neiman, Neiman Labs journalism publication. So we're definitely growing very quickly. And, and we're just very excited for uh, what the future has in store for us. We. <laughs> you better talk to me. I love that. I love it. Keep going. Um, <laughs> that's a lot, man. I, I, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, so you mentioned um, legacy news outlets. Um, t tell us what that means and, and why those traditional outlets, in your opinion, weren't capturing uh, what you consider to be the truth or your, your vantage point during the uh, protest and and so in the community organizing uh definitely i mean often i i go back to like when i came into this because i i don't even necessarily consider myself to be a journalist mm -hmm. necessarily because i often push back against the very idea philosophically of what journalism even is because it was in fact created by organizations like the associated press it was created by organizations like the society for Pe professional journalists at which when those organizations were created, it was pretty much only white men in the ranks. And it was pretty much only white men who were creating these rules and ideas and values of what journalism was. And so I very much uh, think that journalism from its very beginning in the United States of America, at least, for instance, the Kansas City Star, our largest legacy news outlet here in Kansas City, uh, was founded just like every other news outlet in the country, the Boston Newsletter, which that was the very first uh, newspaper in the United States of America. All of these legacy news outlets were founded uh, within their very first months. They were reliant on selling slave ads in order to uh, 
uh, be sustainable. That was a you know monumental part of their business model. And so they were quite literally uh, only able to exist because they were profiting off of the blood of our ancestors. And so because of that, they had to do things like criminalize black people. And they actually created clickbait before the internet existed. They were making these clickbait headlines like black man, you know, does whatever to white woman. And so that that was really clickbait before the internet existed. And they knew how to stoke these racial anxieties and racial fears, um, this racial hatred, really. And, and another example that I often give people is that the only coup in American history, the only successful coup that has taken place in American history was actually led by a white publisher. Uh, I believe it was in North, uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. And it was the very first interracial government in uh, local government in the United States. And it was overthrown by the publisher of uh, a North Carolina newspaper, a, a white North Carolina white supremacist newspaper. And yeah. so not only are there actual reporting uh, racist, but we actually we've actually seen the publishers of of these organizations also be involved in in very violent uh, acts. And then just to kind of go back to the question of what we saw uh, in 2020, I, I think it's just this idea of objectivity that, that we're supposed to have. There's supposed to be two equal sides to uh, a story. And, and the black press has never uh, prescribed to that idea. We've never had any allegiance as the black press to so-called objectivity. We have always been on the side of justice. We've always been on uh, the side of black people and we haven't been afraid to advocate for our people and what we think is best for our people. So this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings, that frustrating thing your mom does or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com B-I-N today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot B-I-N. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangsta Chronicles, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Hosted by MC8 and Big Steels every Thursday, each episode provides an in-depth exploration into the formative artists, monumental albums, and socio-political factors that have shaped gangster rap from its emergence in the 80s to its enduring impact today. Gangsta Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form. We dive into the socio-cultural aspects that gangster rap boldly addressed, from police brutality to systemic racism, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the profound cultural significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangsta Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go. 
Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are here today with the founder and executive editor of the Kansas City Defender, Mr. Ryan Sorrell, discussing colorism in the media and his new and quickly growing digital news publication, The Kansas City Defender. Listen, I'm going to tell you a story just because um, I feel it's it's very similar to the one that that you're telling. You know, myself, I uh, I'm like you, I'm not a traditional journalist. You know, I'm a DJ and I come from hip hop radio. And in 2020, just like you, got out in the streets with my sons and started protesting. And I'd go home at night. And I'd see on the news that it was a riot. Mind you, I'm there with two little children. There's no riot. There's nothing crazy like that. But the way they were discussing it was, it was fear-mongering, basically. Textbook. So um, what ended up happening was, the, uh, you know, it occurred to me, why don't we, in radio, why don't we create a space to allow the leadership um, in, in Phoenix, where I live, uh, the leadership was uh, a group of women. They were the Black Lives Matter chapter. And uh, why don't we create a space on the radio so they can come up and explain what it is that they want, explain why it's safe and it's, you know, it's your constitutional right to protest, et cetera. Well, um, I got some pushback from my radio station. I ended up resigning publicly uh, because of that. And I started my own radio show um, so that we could tell our own story, so that we could say we weren't rioting. Uh, there wasn't a riot. There was no violence. The police started it, you know, these sorts of things. And, and as you mentioned, um, there needs to be two equal sides of the story. And what we were getting from the media landscape out here was uh, very much one-sided. And all we had was social media, which a lot of the uh, people that we were trying to appeal to in 2020 didn't they didn't have social media accounts or didn't follow the accounts um given the instruction you know making sure people were safe etc so i personally appreciate exactly what you're doing because i had to live through all of that i quit my job had to start from scratch and build something that now is syndicated nationally and that landed me here talking to you and so i think that we are kind of kindred spirits in that way that we have to fight for our people um but that brings me another question because I've I've had to deal with this myself. Um, I know that black media is very important, but white media very much dominates the media space. And I've had conversations with folks since my public resignation. And those folks work in the media space and they want to create a more equitable environment. 
Um, I have my own personal thoughts that I've shared with these folks, but I'll ask you, what could these white, uh, historically legacy white outlets do to um, bring more equity to their journalism? Uh, well, well, first, I just want to commend you and say I have a lot of respect for your story. Man, I'm proud of you. Because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I think that's definitely a very courageous thing to do. And not a lot of people are willing to stand on their values in that way. So just want to say I have a lot of respect for you as well. And uh, just in terms of your question, I'm I'm not necessarily convinced that. I mean, I think that there are short term solutions, things like making a company more culturally welcoming or making it uh, more equitable and a safe space for people, regardless of your race, religion, sexuality, gender. I think those are things we can do in the short term, but in the long term, I am just not necessarily convinced because of knowing the history and the foundation of what these white legacy news outlets were created to do, who they were created by, the values that they have, who they are uh, loyal to and what their allegiances are to and who their audiences are and what their business models are made on and how they profit. All of those things combined to me make me I, I don't I'm not convinced that they can be something that ultimately is beneficial for black people. I think that uh, we as black people should continue to invest in ourselves and mm. creating our own infrastructures and creating our own uh, media enterprises, whether they're for profit, nonprofit. I think that we should continue investing in things like the Black Information Network mm. or the Kansas City Defender or uh, any of these other. I, I think we we know how to do what we need best. And so I just don't know that I would spend. I mean, me, me as a personal person, I think everybody has their own, you know, role in in movement work and so i would never disparage someone for wanting to increase you know dei and uh improve these existing legacy institutions i would never disparage anybody for that because i've worked in white companies and i know how terrible it can be if they don't have good dei policies and things like that so i think for our own survival i i understand and empathize with why people do dei work in those institutions but just for myself philosophically and where the, where I would invest my time and energy and resources in the long term is in building black infrastructure and, and our own uh, organizations that we control and that we have power over. Sure, sure. I, I, I appreciate that. That that uh, is a very measured response. Um, I'll be honest, a lot of the conversations that I have where I live in Phoenix, um, there's the black population is, as as I'm told, uh, statistically irrelevant with respect to how the media has been shaped. And yet black culture dominates the media space. It's funny how that works. But, you know, I've been called into these meetings as the host of this radio show, Civic Cipher. Um, and, you know, when, when people are trying to, you know, approach DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and, and trying to make their environments a little bit more equitable and speak to a full uh, spectrum of the population and not just cater to one or two segments or facets of the population. And they have these conversations with me oftentimes. I do mention um, things that uh, 
yeah, things like hiring practices, representation in the media, you know, promoting uh, the right people and empowering those people and making sure that their voices are heard and that they're supported. Um, you know, those sorts of things that, you know, folks don't really like those answers because it requires them to relinquish a bit of power or relinquish a little bit of airtime. You know, this is kind of the nature of my radio show. I have to knock on all these doors around the country and say, hey, you should put this show on the radio. And it's not a moneymaker, but it is something that's important for you to maintain a uh, relationship with the, with the community. Um, and so that's typically where I go with it. But I, I love your approach to that and saying that um, we do need to invest in black media because at the end of the day, I found out that not just black people consume black media, but oftentimes white people in a position to make change, you know, because there are rooms that black people do not make it into and we need allies in those rooms. And, and white people oftentimes seek out black media because they want to hear from the source. They want to know exactly what the what is and how they can be the best ally they can uh, become. And so, um, yeah, I, I, it might be uh, that might be the stronger play indeed. Um, so I, I, I appreciate the uh, response there. Definitely. I, I would just agree 100 percent. And even uh, I love what you said about um, and I think it is necessary in the meantime to improve existing institutions. And for instance, like one specific thing that legacy news outlets currently do that I think is very problematic in terms of news and journalism is that they will often take verbatim a press release or a PR statement that the police give them in a, any given situation and just print it as absolute fact without, you know, as the unquestioned authority on the situation. And we actually had a situation here in Kansas City last year where a black man named Malcolm Johnson was killed inside of a gas station and every single news outlet in the entire city reported that he had been armed and that he was engaged in a shootout with the Kansas City Police Department. And it wasn't until two months later when when employees of that gas station actually leaked surveillance footage of the actual incident to some local pastors and the pastors leaked it to the press in which we found out that not only was the man unarmed, but that he was being held down by three police officers and he, making that making it physically impossible for him to have done anything, even if he did have a weapon. And on top of that, one of the police officers accidentally shot the other police officer and then shot Malcolm and killed Malcolm. And this was all on videotape. And you can look it up. It's Malcolm Johnson, Kansas City. And the initial police reports, which were verified by all of the police on the scene, as well as our police chief, said that he was armed and engaged in a shootout. And every single news outlet in the entire city printed that and published it as if it was unquestioned fact. And we see this all the time. That's that's not even an anomaly. We saw that even with the case of George Floyd. Mm -hmm. um, this is something that takes place all the time that most of these legacy news outlets continue to practice. So that's in terms of actual journalism, that's something that they could change and, you know, immediately that would be beneficial. So, yeah, you know, uh, to your point, if we were going to approach existing media outlets, having a black person in the room, a black voice, um, at, at best, you get someone who's critical 
of or leery of things that come from the police, you know, um, and even if it's like a worst case scenario sort of a thing, um, you have someone that could offer some perspective. You know what I mean? It could at least say, all right, well, let's pause and make sure this. let's verify. Let's go through another step, because as you as you mentioned, I think what you're alluding to is that um, there is a built in trust between news and media and uh, police. You know, what I mean, this is where their stories come from. They just kind of accept it as truth and the narrative gets chronicled accordingly. And uh, often that happens at the expense of black people. And this is something that's very storied in our lives. It's something that we know uh, full well and something that you and I personally have both seen. And it is um, frustrating and disheartening, but fortunately uh, we're not traditional journalists and, and certainly you, you know, making a whole, uh, I'm, I'm so, I can't, I can't, I can't express it enough. Great work. This concludes part one of our two-part interview with Mr. Ryan Sorrell. Be sure to check back in with us for part two, where we discuss colorism in the workplace and, of course, in media. This has been a production of the Black Information Network. Today's show was produced by Chris Thompson, associate producer Maggie B. Nowen. Have some thoughts you'd like to share? Use the red microphone talkback feature on the iHeartRadio app. While you're there, be sure to hit subscribe and download all of our episodes. I'm your host, Ramses Ja, on all social media. Join us tomorrow as we share our news with our voice from our perspective, right here on the Black Information Network Daily Podcast. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.